Gosh, it would be awful pleasing to reason out the reason for things I can't explain. Then perhaps I'll deserve you and be even worthy of you if I only had a brain. And welcome to the Bad Stop Podcast. This episode will be all about The Wizard of Oz. My guests today are, let me see, alphabetical order, Jenny Brzezinski. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, you did. Hello. Okay. I always worry. Again, everybody. Hi. You might remember Jenny from our board games podcast. Yep. It's a, it's a basically old guests night. Not in age, but in past. I, <laughs> I Ella, better watch it. <laughs> I, I might be the oldest one here, actually. I don't know. I don't know. We'll just remember, say you are. I can't remember if you're older or not. We'll just I say he is. Like, by like a month or two or something. Yeah, uh, who, who cares? Uh, Ella Darling. Hello. Hello. From our actual last episode, uh, Geekateria number one, which was a little change from the norm where we just had geek talk instead of uh, Wikipedia nonsense. Hello. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. I, th- I didn't think you were going to answer, so I was answering for you. <laughs> Did I sound like a munchkin? No, mm-hmm. not really. And uh, this is the part where we all do munchkin voices for the rest of the show. Mm-mm. Awesome. And the Ross Wassenheimer. Wassenheimer. Ross Wassenheimer. No, that sounds more like cartoonish. I think. Yeah, that's a horrible yeah. little person voice. Thank you. It's more, I'm going to kill you in your sleep. Uh, Wes Weisenhofer, who is uh, the most prolific guest, which I say every time you're on, which because you're pretty much on every episode. That's... I'm well loved. Yes, you are by me and Desi and no one else. Aww. That's pretty much it. That's not true. I love Wes. Yeah, actually, Wes is the one who brought us all together because he's friends with all of us and none of us are friends with each other. Yeah, what up? Friends of friends forever. I can keep going. You want me to keep going? Is that Michael W. Smith over there? I don't know. Is that? The reason we're doing The Wizard of Oz is because it's actually getting re-released in 3D IMAX. On September 20th, Wes and I are more than likely going to go see it at the, was it the TCL or the TLC? TCL. TCL. Yeah, so it's not TLC because it's a channel, so it's the opposite. TCL Chinese Theater, yep. where it first, actually The Wizard of Oz first premiered in Hollywood. Yeah, they just put in a big new IMAX screen, and they're going to do the re-release that's going to be in 3D on their new IMAX screen in the TCL Theater. One thing that I wanted to talk to Ella about real quick before we get into The Wizard of Oz is how was Comic-Con? Comic-Con was absolutely fantastic. Was it? Yeah, it was really, really great. How were all the costumes that you were talking about? Um, so I was Batgirl. I was Luna Lovegood in like a latex. Sexy Luna Lovegood, I think, is what we were discussing. Fetish right? Luna Lovegood. Fetish, okay. That's yeah. Different. Fifty um, Shades of Luna Lovegood. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then I do Alice in Wonderland every year because my husband goes as the Mad Hatter with oh, me. Oh, that's cool. So it's, you know, fucking adorable. Yum. Um, I had... I. I had a lot of fun. The most memorable part was I um I helped my friend Wilfred and I produced a photo shoot and I just got to bring all of my friends and we were all in our costumes and the best part was I was Batgirl, my friend Annie Cruz was Catwoman and we just like five or six girls shooting for Hustler and it was just like a big comic-con orgy like we're all friends with each other so it was just like i mean we can just do whatever we want right yeah fuck it so and when you say orgy we don't know if you mean real orgy i mean or- five or six women having sex with each other okay so in like costume. a barbershop in costume yeah okay, cool. it was really really in cool barbershop yeah it's this new barbershop that they this guy is like about to open and so he like had it done for us so that we could just come and like have a cool shoot there because he had it decorated freshly i guess and it was nice of him because you guys broke it in 
We broke it in, yeah. It's really hard to get events You sandblasted the floors. I'm not even going to respond oh. to that. It's got to be like... We're, I'm a guy. I have to say something. <laughs> a nerd-like nerd dream, right? Like Comic-Con orgy? Mm-hmm. There was That's Princess probably... Bubblegum from uh, oh, Adventure geez, Time. Yes. Well, Adventure Time pillows right next oh, to you guys. Oh, hey. Awesome. <laughs> there were two anime girls. There was a Slytherin girl, which was awesome. I didn't end up wearing my latex Luna costume with her, which I should have, but mm-hmm. anyway. Good times. Yeah, well, Comic-Con. It awesome. sounds like you probably had a better time at Comic-Con than most, most people. Because I feel like I would go and just and just play with toys and buy stuff and probably wouldn't take part in some sort of mass orgy. <laughs> but that's just you I, don't know that though. I don't know that. Don't I don't know, know that. that. And who knows? You know, you meet new people every day at Comic Con. Anyway, Wizard of Oz. <laughs> great, great way awesome. into it. Well, since segue, <laughs> you know, um, since we're talking about cons uh-huh. and Jenny's here, uh, I just went to Strategicon, which is a board game con. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> But what? No, oh, because board games. Because we were like, oh, wait, were you podcast. there? You, board you, games ho- podcast. you host this thing, don't you? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Anyways, it was not what I thought it was going to be, but it was interesting. No. What, so what, what's Strategicon? It's just basically a bunch of board games, like like a Comic-Con, but yeah, board games? I didn't see, like, I, I expected there'd be, like, a lot of booths where people were showing, this is our new board game, buy it. Um, I think there was one of those, and they were doing a tournament for that game. It hadn't come out yet, and like the winner got $500. But mostly it was just a bunch of tables and a ballroom set up for people to try out specific games. They like had like an area where you could check out, you give your license, and you could check out a game. You know, they have oh. all this alphabetically. So you're like, oh, I want to par- try Pandemic. And so then they give you Pandemic, and you go play it with your friends, and people join you. Or not. So it's like, like a board game library. I was about to say that. Yeah, yeah. you just Basically, go in and check out. It oh, sounds great. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, I did get to sit down and play a little bit of a new game um, that I never played before, which is kind of cool. Uh, I was actually there for another reason. I was there to support a friend who was doing an improv show. But um, was it Daniel? It was Daniel. Daniel Weiss, who was on the Stanley podcast, doing uh, Doctor Who. Doctor Live. Who Live, yeah. yeah, that's actually pretty fun. I'm not into improv that much, but Doctor Who Live is actually pretty fun. That sounds fun. What is well, Doctor yeah. Who Live? Um, uh, my ex roommate and our, uh, friends of ours, yeah. they basically just improv a whole Doctor Who episode type of thing. That's and cool. every uh, show, there's a different person who's the Doctor, and it just centers basically around that just Doctor Who improv. It ended up the episode ended up being really really great. And for my listeners out there, if you hear a slight hum, it is hot as fucking balls. So my fan's on. And so now that I've mentioned it's it. It's pretty hot in L.A. Yeah. today. I find that phrase to be a little bit interesting because balls are actually kept a few degrees cooler than the rest of your body. So why choose hot as balls? It should be hot as ball sack, maybe. Okay. Because I, I don't know about Wes, but I, it gets a little warm. It gets a little warm down there. I mean, as girls, you probably would know that, too, because you're married and have boyfriends. Um, but it gets a little, little warm. <laughs> I am certainly very acquainted with the thermal temperature of my husband's testicles usually i mean we're married for christ's sake yeah why so wouldn't i, would I know so. that information sure. <laughs> but uh but i don't know where the the term came from maybe from wizard of oz and that's how you segue <laughs> <Is it>? <laughs> <laughs> i figured i'd start off just reading the quick little um summary of wikipedia and then we can get into it i know wes is uh dying to tell us his theory of wizard of oz no, dying you're but... di- you're dying you're dying and uh sure. there's there's a bunch of stuff. Uh, the Wikipedia page is huge, obviously, and we're not, we don't want to get through the whole thing. But there's a bunch of stuff in it that I found incredibly interesting. So uh, you guys might find it interesting, too. Who knows? Who's here has read the books? Just Ella? I have read the books. Yeah, I like the books. I think you're the only one who's read the books, right? I, I, I have an expert. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're the book <laughs> library power. <laughs> the ex-librarian has read the books. Uh, so the Wizard of Oz. Actually, you know what? Before I hit into that, I want just a brief summary of uh, the fact that the Wizard of Oz was written by a bomb, right? In like 1900, it actually was a play, a musical, in 1902. Uh, Do you guys know that? Oh, I, I knew that he wrote a musical. Yeah. I didn't realize that he wrote it first. Uh, they called it a musical extravaganza. Was it the same music? It was originally published in 1900. Much of the original music was by Paul Teetins. I'm really bad with names. Uh, Paul Teetins has been mostly forgotten. Although it was still very well remembered in discussion at MGM in the late 1930s when the classic film version of the story was made. Although Baum is the credited book writer, um, Glenn McDonough was hired on as a joke writer after Baum had finished the script. There was no Wicked Witch and no Toto in that version of the play. Um, in the 1910, they did a silent fantasy film, which is the earliest version, uh, film version. Then does it say who was it? was based in the, the 1902 stage musical. Does it say who was in the silent film? Uh, it's, most of the film dealt with the Wicked Witch of the West, um, who doesn't appear in the original music. Then there was a 1925 silent film uh, that has totally different characters and exploits, which is strange to me. Um, and then in 1933, they did an animated short film, which I guess you can actually see in uh, one of the DVD, DVD versions of the Judy Garland film. So anyway, The Wizard of Oz, and you guys can interrupt me whenever you want. Well, I'm going to so, interrupt really quick then. Yeah, go for it. it um, what is the one you said has characters or other characters that weren't? It was a 19, the 1925 silent film. It's got some of the same characters, but it also has different characters, and it says exploits that weren't in the original book. Okay. Yeah, so just stuff that... I, I would like to see those. That You said the first one was the last? The first? The silent film. It was made by the Selig Polyscope Company without Baum's direct input. It was created to fulfill a contractual obligation associated with Baum's personal bankruptcy caused by the fairy log and radio plays from which it was once thought to have been derived. It doesn't say if you can see it. Mm. I assume not. I think I read somewhere that it was lost. Yeah, but the 1933 version, uh, it was originally done in Technicolor, but then... There was a problem with Technicolor, so they had to release it in black and white because of some sort of lawsuit. That was early Technicolor. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, getting on to the main Wizard of Oz, it's a 1939 American musical fantasy adventure film produced by MGM and the most well-known and commercial adaptation based on the 1900 novel The Wonderful Wizard of Oz by Frank L. Baum. Um, it stars Judy Garland, Terry the dog, billed as Toto, Ray Bolger, Jack Haley, Burt Lahr, Frank Morgan, Billy Burke, Margaret Hamilton, Charlie Grapewin, Clara Blandick, and the, and the singer Midgets was what they were called as the Munchkins, with Pat Walsh as leader of the Flying Monkeys. Uh, I guess they were called the Singer Midgets back then, which I guess, I don't know, I, I, I feel like an eight-year-old boy whenever I say that. I just don't want to <laughs> giggle. I know it's wrong, but I just want to giggle. Uh, notable for its use of technicolor, fantasy storytelling, musical score, and unusual characters, over the years it has become one of the best-known films in our popular culture. Uh, this is uh, one of the cool things, or the interesting things. All the film received largely positive reviews. It was not a box office success, earning only $3 million on a $2 million budget. Uh, it was MGM's most expensive production up to that time, but its initial release failed to recoup the studio's investment. Obviously, it's made its money back. Right. Since <laughs> it was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, who knows what it lost to? Uh, so, would 1939? No, actually, um, crap. Uh, I'm going to go with it. Is it? It happened one night. It the Stephen King yeah, movie. Yeah, with, no, anyways, it's not it. It happened one night. Is it? No, it's no, not. It's, it happened one that night. That was maybe a little earlier. 
Uh, it lost to Gone with the Wind. Okay. Oh, Gone with the Wind. Oh, that makes sense. Come on. Which is the, for inflation, if you count inflation, that's the biggest moneymaker of all time. Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Ever? Uh, aside yeah. from Deep Throat. <laughs> it wow. did win two. Um, it won Best Original Song for Over the Rainbow, which we'll get into a little later. It was almost cut from the film. Uh, the film was named the most viewed motion picture on television syndication in history by the Library of Congress and is often ranked among the top ten best movies of all time. Uh, it was directed primarily by Victor Fleming, Noel Langley, Florence Ryerson, and Edgar Allan Wolfe received credit for the screenplay, but there were uncredited contributions by others. Basically, it went through like four directors. The development of the film started with the success of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and I read somewhere that uh, Disney actually wanted to make it into an animated film, but MGM got the rights. So that would have been a very different movie. Yeah, because that was right around the, t- the time of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. MGM picked up the rights in 1938. So, yeah, it would have been right right at the same time that um, Disney was putting out the first animated feature. There's a lot of urban legends, primarily the one with the little person being hung in the back. Do you guys know about that? Yeah. 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 It's, it's a stork, right? In, real, like, in reality? What's that? It's, it's a stork in reality, right? Or yeah, crane? it's a bird. Basically, the, the urban legend is that uh, one of the munchkins hung himself, and then when they're coming down the yellow brick road, you can see him hanging in the background. Mm-hmm. That's what you mean, like deep in yeah. the background. It's creepy looking. Someone, but, yeah. Well, you can watch the video. Someone actually put, they, they photoshopped or you know, edited in it looking like there's a little munchkin hanging. That's sad. And that's the one that goes around a lot for people to see. But then they didn't do a great job because if you watch the original, it's actually a big, big bird. Yeah. And it's got its wings flapping. And then the person who edited the munchkin in there, if you look very close, you can actually see the wings of the bird coming out of the trees uh, out of nowhere. So it's obviously fake. Right. But I think that if there was a person hanging in the background, they probably would have noticed. Yeah. That's up there with like the three men and a baby ghost, I think. No, but that's actually real. It's not a ghost. It's his. This is like cut out, right? Yeah, because you can actually stop it. And Ted Danson's I mean, cut out is in the um, That window. movie myth is sort of like lumped in. There's like. What is that movie myth exactly? Which one? The, the Three Men and a Baby? Yeah. That there's uh, that supposedly um, the house that, or the apartment that they rented to shoot that movie. Um, a little boy had died in the apartment or something. And uh, there's a scene where you can see the little boy like staring at them in the background. And it turns out it's just a cutout, a cardboard cutout of Ted Danson. Yeah. Cause I, I, but it I, looks, it I looks don't know if it was weird, on purpose because Ted Danson's an actor. In He's the an film, actor in the movie. And so yeah. there was a standup cutout of him that for some reason someone <sighs> put in the window, like behind a drape. Right. So if it's real quick, you just see like this image, but you pause and it's Ted Danson's yeah. cutout. That's hilarious. Yeah. <clears throat> Still kind of creepy. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's it, things like that are fun though. Um, not not little people hanging in the background, but uh, I think with the like uh, the advent of like high definition and better quality home viewing, that stuff's gonna just kind of go away. Like we're gonna stop hearing myths. People like are that. gullible as shit, though. It's, like, it's not gonna stop. No, there is a there is a, a meme uh, going around of uh, it's a zombie movie, and it's an image of the zombie dying. And you see all the brain cells uh, and neurons like, like sparking for a second right before the it, death. Mm-hmm. And it goes around the internet and Tumblr as someone actually dying. Like this is someone's real brain. You can see right before that they, they die, there's this explosion of neurons. And it's got like hundreds of thousands of notes. Like, oh, my God, this is so awesome. But it's the, it, and it doesn't matter how many people say this is an image from the movie 28 Days Later or whatever it is. It still goes around as real. It's 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 so I'm 
people are just gullible. I know. They'll just find new ways to make you believe bullshit. Yeah, and it doesn't even matter if someone tells you and shows you proof that it's not true. Yeah, that's what gets me. You have to have a certain amount of common sense to realize that you have to just look at facts. Like, this is a whole other show topic. I'm just going to be quiet. (laughs) No, 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 go on. It just makes me mad that, like... In the, the day and age we have of technology and all this stuff, and especially on Facebook, and where you can share stuff with anyone in the world now, and, and they believe what they want, they put their comments, and it doesn't matter what's written below, they don't even read it. My favorite, though, is like when they say like another country is protesting, and they show a picture of a whole bunch of people protesting, people are like, good for that country, and someone goes, this is from a parade like two years ago, <laughs> like they're not protesting today, they're just trying to get, too. and people are like, no, good for this country, I'm like, Guys, wake up. Like, please. The worst part is this is on Facebook, so they're on the internet, which holds kind of the wealth of human knowledge. So if you really took a few seconds, you could solve this question by looking it up. Yeah. It's insane. I have a problem accidentally seeing dead people on online. Like, I, like for like films and stuff, and special what? effects, I'm pretty desensitized. But like I've accidentally stumbled on like photos of dead bodies and stuff and it bothers me yeah i'm confused as to where we got how we got there from where you were talking about like the The people think that the the meme is real so the the people think that the dead body's real and that this but like so like you know it's something from a movie but i've actually accidentally stumbled on photos of dead bodies and it freaks me out every time decomposition is no bueno i'm trying (laughs) to think so from dead bodies and fake protests how do we get back to? Does anybody have a good segue? You know here? who dies in the Wizard of Oz? First off, who is the, the wicked, wicked witch of the, of the east? east? Yeah, there yeah. she is. <laughs> um, the, actually, there's. This is kind of funny. The original producers thought that a 1939 audience was too sophisticated to accept Oz as a straight-ahead fantasy. Therefore, it was reconceived as a lengthy, elaborate dream. Because of a perceived need to attract a youthful audience, the score originally featured a song called "The Jitterbug." And, no. Mm-hmm, and the script originally featured a scene with a series of musical contests. A spoiled, selfish princess in Oz had outlawed all forms of music except classical and operetta. Sorry. This pisses me off straight off the bat, but continue. And went up against Dorothy in a singing contest in which her swing style enchanted listeners and won the grand prize. That, was part, that part was initially written for Betty James. Uh, the plan was later dropped, who was originally going to be Dorothy. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to save this, but okay. I love the books. I read the books. The books are awesome. The wizard who becomes, you know, it's the Wizard of Oz. He's kind of a gigantic dick. He kind of collaborated to kidnap the young princess of Oz, who is nothing but goodness and awesome. She's very just and she's a pacifist. She's amazing. She's the princess of Oz. She is the chosen ruler of the country and she's great at it. So this douchebag comes in, kidnaps her, basically sells her into slavery to the Wicked Witch of the North, um... This and she turns the princess into a little boy, so he kind of came to power by sending a little girl to slavery. And so now you're saying that they were going to take Ozma of Oz, whose story was already kind of corrupted because we see the wizard as this great dude, but he, you know, sells kids into slavery. And now she's some spoiled little princess who's obsessed with who bans music. She doesn't ban music. She's awesome. Well, then you're going to love what they did originally when they filmed Dorothy. But we'll get that a little bit. Think um, of well, th- breaking two electric blue. Footloose electric too. Boogaloo? Right. Yeah. Like Outlawed music and right. she comes in and saves the day. Well, breaking two. Isn't they that have what to like dirty dancing. Is? They have I to like put on the show to save the community center. Oh, oh. <laughs> and stop um, the like wealthy land. 
land developers from tearing it down. So in the books, it's Wicked Witch of the North and South. Did um, they change it to East and West? Glinda How- is in the South in the books. And Moby is the Wicked Witch of the North. Moby? I think her name is Moby. She's okay. this little, she's like a voodoo witch. Was kind there of even thing. East West stuff? Yeah, there was East and West. Okay. There was just one of each one. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's the thing, though. I feel like the wizard isn't that nice a guy in the movie. He's kind of, he's kind of like, he's, yeah, rude, yeah. He's, a, he's, a, he's a scam artist. Yep. I mean, he gets caught in the end and it's like, oh, I better give you all some <laughs> stuff because, right. you know, I don't want to be kicked out. Isn't it a little off-putting that this, I mean, he's a felon. This grown man who is a felon is hanging out with a, like, 12-year-old girl. 13, 14? I think she was 11. 11? In the book, yeah. Cause it, in the book? In the book, she's 11. How yeah. old was um, Judy Garland like supposed six, to be in six, the uh, movie? Well, in real life, she was like 16. I, I know. They tried well, to make her 11. I always thought she was like a teenager like 14, in the 15, movie. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that they were trying to portray her as some younger. I think she had a really hard time. I think Judy Garland was, um, like she was a teenage girl, and they were so hard on about making her look like a kid that they were really kind of nasty to her about it mm-hmm. and really like, shamed her in a lot of ways i don't know the exact story but yeah, actually, oh, i think shirley temple <laughs> shirley temple was actually up for the role too she was i'm going to go into first the casting of uh of actually what happened to the original tin man and then it goes into what we're talking about dorothy uh so they they started filming uh with the guy who is scarecrow as tin man and the guy who is tin man as scarecrow and then, then the guy who played tin man it, these are not the original he had an allergic cast reaction to the yeah yes but the guy who was playing Tin Man actually wanted Scarecrow, so he made them switch. Mm-hmm. And so they stopped filming so that they can switch. Okay, 10 days into the shoot, uh, Buddy Epson, who we all know, uh, I think he's Jed Clampett. Mm-hmm. He, he eventually becomes uh, Jed Clampett from Beverly Hillbillies. He's the original Tin Man, and he suffered a reaction to the aluminum powder makeup he wore, the powder he breathed in daily as it was applied and coated his lungs. Epson was hospitalized in critical condition and subsequently was forced to leave the project. Later on, he recalled the studio heads initially disbelieving that he was ill, only realizing the extent of his condition when they showed up and saw he was in an iron lung. Epson's sudden medical departure caused the film to shut down, while a new actor was found to fill the part. Um, no full footage of Epson as a Tin Man has ever been released. Only photographs taken during filming and test photos of the different makeup. MGM did not publicize the reason of Epson's replacement, Jack Haley, simply assumed uh, he had been fired. Ironically, despite his near-death experience, Epson outlived all of the principal cast members by at least 16 years. Producer Mervyn Leroy had taken his time to review the already shot footage and felt that Thorpe seemed to be rushing the picture along, uh, creating a negative impact on the actors. Uh, so they uh, changed the director. But... During, uh, initially, the studio had made Garland wear a blonde wig and heavy baby doll makeup as she played Dorothy. So in all the stuff they'd filmed up to now, she was in blonde wig, baby doll makeup, uh, costumes, like baby doll costumes. And she played Dorothy in an exaggerated fashion. Uh, but when they brought the new director, Kukor, in there, he, they changed all that and then he told her to just be herself. So yes, they originally wanted her to look 11 years old. They did worse stuff to her than That's that. insane. Yeah, but still, it's the, how different would it like, they probably would not have succeeded if they had kept with that filming because it just kind of sounds ridiculous. I never thought she was supposed to be a child. I, I no. never watched that movie. I, just yeah, I mean, she seems that. like she's 16 in the film. I, I wouldn't think she was over 18 at all. Not at all, but no. she's no 11. No, know, yeah, 11, not 12 11. Or 12 or I didn't even yeah. know she was supposed to be a child. No matter how you dress her, it's weird. I just learned something. Thanks, guys. <laughs> You know what? Uh, Before we get into some of this other interesting production stuff, uh, why don't we hear Wes's theory? 
a lot of the stuff that I find interesting when it comes to Wikipedia is, you know, behind the scenes stuff, not necessarily stuff strictly about like the movie and the plot, because I think we all know that. Yeah. I think everyone has seen The Wizard of Oz, and if you haven't, you really fucking should. But a lot of how hard it seemed like it was to actually film the thing is 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 pretty interesting because like the flying monkeys apparently a lot of them got injured because the wires would always snap and all of that was kind of hush hush and the the fact that most of the most of the cast thought that judy garland was trying to one-up them and and being like all like a prissy when she in fact was paid less than everybody else uh she got five hundred dollars a a week and like the Tin Man and Scarecrow got three thousand dollars a week. Holy cow! Wow. Yeah, and Toto got one hundred twenty-five a week, and the Munchkins got fifty dollars a week. So Toto got paid more than the Munchkins. Wow! That's How much up. did Toto get paid? One hundred twenty-five a week. Oh my god! Yeah, and Munchkins got fifty a week. Um, so basically, Garland got five hundred a week. Sorry, which uh, equates to now like eight thousand dollars a week. Right. Uh, and then so Scarecrow and Tin Man got what would equate to now fifty thousand dollars a week. She was. The low one on the totem pole, obviously. She was fairly, fairly unknown. And they were probably all under contract. The Wicked Witch got a thousand a week. So, Wes, let's go into your. All right, I'm really nervous to tell you guys this. Why? You guys might think it's... I'm excited. Basically, Wes has Levine? a theory of the film, and he's going to get into it a little bit now. Yeah. So, so in 1929, the stock stock market crashed. Right. Most f- film theorists that talk about the Wizard of Oz, that's central to the theory. That um, like the yellow brick road representing the gold standard, and that's what you should should have been well, invested in instead of stocks, and so on. The book was written like that was the topic of right. Yeah, the book was right. based on real stuff. But as filmmakers, we don't always follow the book, or we have different. You know, we try to put our different philosophies or things in there, and it maybe or probably has nothing to do with my theory, but I think it's an interesting view on it. Um, so, uh, after the stock market crashed, movie ticket sales dropped like hardcore in the country for a couple of years. Um, but about two years later, 1932, Technicolor was sort of like promising something better and something new and tickets started to sell again. People also realized that this was the affordable thing to do in the country um, it was an easy way to go out. And it, back then it was an experience. Like you got dressed up and you went out and you made a real night out of it. It's not like it is now where you go and people are on their phones and they're talking throughout the thing and whatnot. It was a cheap way to get out. But in 1935, MGM and Warner Brothers released their first Technicolor pictures. So that gives you an idea. Like in 1932, Technicolor is kind of happening. It takes three years before MGM and Warner Brothers actually put out their first one. But once they do... It changes the way people see Hollywood. They already sort of idolize stars from the silent era, but seeing them in color made it more real and it glamorized Hollywood in a way that hadn't happened before. So the idea of stardom exploded and ticket sales continued to get better. So by 1938, ticket sales were, you know, 400 million ticket sales plus uh, in the country. So it was like really back on track. Um, Hollywood was making a lot more money, um, and that was the year that MGM purchased the rights to Wizard of Oz. So at the time, in 1938, Shirley Temple's the number one star in the world. Um, Eventually, Mickey Rooney became the number one star, but at the time, she was the number one star in the world, and she was considered for the part for Dorothy. However, there was an up-and-comer. She had only been making features for two years. 
She had made six features, um, some backgrounds, you know, small parts, a couple of um, leads. She was from Grand Rapids, Minnesota, and she beat out the number one star in the world. She ousted Shirley Temple for this role. Over her career, which we know was cut short, Judy, Judy Garland made 35 features. She died fairly young because of a barbiturate overdose. That addiction was created by MGM. So at the age of 14, when they started working her, remember I said she did six features in two years. She was having a hard time staying awake on set, so they started giving her pills to keep her awake. And then as she started getting a little older and she started filling out a little bit more, they started giving her amphetamines to make her thin. She did all of this for her dream. So now, Wizard of Oz. I believe the Wizard of Oz. So wait, so yes. was that, that background that you just told us mm-hmm. has to do with the theory? Yep. Okay. Well, you'll see. It'll gotcha, hopefully gotcha. come full circle. I believe the Wizard of Oz is about the Hollywood dream. I believe it's about wanting to be an actor or an actress and trying to make that dream happen. You have a girl from a small Midwest town. She's taken in by a performer. She travels to a faraway land. She needs the help of the little people because it's easier to stand on their shoulders and they're little physically. She is the one person that possesses the youth and the beauty, the ruby slippers, the thing that the older veterans, per se, the, the witches covet. I think that the ruby slippers sort of represent, you know, you know, young girl coming to womanhood, menses. I, we discussed how I was going to try and word this earlier. And it's very awkward. Um, so feel free to jump in. <laughs> You're doing anytime, great, ladies. Wes. You're doing great. Um, yeah, this is good. So uh, Dorothy going to Oz is her getting her first period. No. Okay. But that. But those slippers represent the th- the thing that the sort of old cronish women sort of covet, and they wish that they had. Right. That she is now seizing, which they no longer possess. Right. She travels a road that's paved with gold to get to the city of her dreams. Um, along her way, she has to, she meets these characters um, who are essentially character traits of people. Um, and they're things that you have to work on. You can't be dumb or you get taken advantage of. You can't be heartless or you'll be unlikable or unmarketable. You have to have courage because you're going to face steep odds. Um, and along the way, she is tempted by drugs to thwart her from her path. What are the drugs in the book? The poppies? Uh, well, in the movie, they're the poppies. I don't know what the drugs are in the book. Uh, okay. You, you Sorry, I meant me. the movie. Yeah. The poppies. The everlasting sleep. Right. Which she eventually has come to. Um, kind of needed. So ultimately, she has to... The poppies are the casting couch. She, she's promised that she's going to be given what she wants if she can best her predecessors, the, the older veterans the, of... You know, she's like the young ingenue, and she has to better the, the veterans of, uh, of the land. Um, and once she does that... She comes back to claim her reward, and she finds out that um, her goal and her reward isn't exactly what she was promised. It wasn't what she thought it was going to be. Um, and that's when she realizes that there's no place like home, and she wants to go back, and she wakes up because, after all, it's a dream. So don't try to come to Hollywood to make it as an actress? Is that No, not at all. Saying? That's not all I'm saying. But, but, but if you think about especially at that time period, um, and you look at, like, Disney – what made Disney such a powerhouse as a studio is that they told cautionary tales. They told fables. And that's a time period where that was um, 
one of the most common and most powerful ways to tell a story to people was to tell a cautionary tale. So who's the wizard in your theory then? The wizard, I believe the wizard is like the movie producer. It makes sense. Right. And Glinda is sort of like an agent or like, you know, you know, like a manager who sort of sets her on the path and, and sort of represents, you know, what you should do. I like it. The first yeah. um, uh, part of that, pretty much you also described the movie Pretty Woman. Sure. I mean, you probably apply I'm this the, to, to joke. other things. Yeah, actually, like, no. I was thinking that's Pretty Woman. But, um, or, or any film like that, you know, coming to a new yeah. land. And... But I was, I, was, I was in Hollywood when this like, idea came across uh, my, my brain a couple years ago. Um, and we were, we were looking at and walking across the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And it was sort of like, this is, this is, people come to this town. There's people, tourists all around us. People come to this town because they believe in this like glamorized Hollywood dream that was built around the time that this movie was made. And, um, and that the Hollywood Walk of Fame for a lot of us in this industry, that is our yellow brick road. You know, you go there so you can go see the Hollywood sign. That's like sort of the romantic idea of, of making movies and making television shows. Okay. As somebody who came here to become an actress and um, uh, it's had experiences in all this, it's funny to me that it's not funny. Uh, it's kind of astounding to me that what people come here to look at, like the Hollywood sign was Hollywood land before. Right. And it was just the name of a development that they wanted to have up there. Right. And then they took the land off, which obviously over time became the Hollywood sign means what it means now, but it used to just be the name of a development. Right. And uh, you know, like the Hollywood walk of fame and like all the old school celebrities that we all get into because movies were a big deal back then. And they were the first of their kind and all the stuff. They went from silent to, to not silent to color. But also you had back then studios putting stars together and saying, okay, now you guys show up in, in, in public and become your couple now, your couple, because we need to sell this film. And then when the film was over, they broke up. So as beautiful as, as the dreams of it all are, it's it, now being here for almost eight years and understanding behind the scenes, it's, it almost takes a little bit of the glamour away because you thought those stars really cared about each other back then and they tripped at the premieres arm in arm, but it was really because the studios were... You know, not only obviously giving, you know, barbiturates and stuff to, to Judy Garland to make her stay awake or to be thin and all this, all these behind the scenes stories. But, the, you know, these stars that showed up arm in arm, they weren't really together. It was just right. a ploy to get movie tickets. So it's, it's weird that people come here and they have their fantasies of what the Hollywood sign means and the right. Walk of Fame. And, and I get the, the history behind it. But once you learn the stories a little bit more, you're like, no, we've always been kind of told what to believe with all this a stuff. A little disillusioned. And it's not, yeah, a little, little, uh, it's just a little yeah. weird. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you can probably attest to how hard it is trying to be an actress in this town. I mean, we we live in Los Angeles. and There's like nine million people here, and it seems like everybody's trying to get the same job. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's plenty of people that don't work in movies, but it feels like everybody does. Yeah, I fuck strangers for a living in porn, and I feel way more. Um, when I go to like a mainstream film set and I'm doing something in a mainstream film, I feel way more degraded and way more negative. Like the experience is so much more disheartening for me than any porn has ever been. I mean, I love porn and I love shooting. I love doing porn, which is why I do it. But like, I just never feel the warm magic of like, oh, we're making a movie. It's movie magic time. It's just, okay, this is going to be kind of miserable. We're going to sit around for a very long time. We're going to be vastly underappreciated. And then we're going to go home kind of grumpy. It becomes a little bit paint by numbers. I feel like it's not very humanistic. I feel like the people kind of get lost 
because the focus is so much on the business of it. Whereas with what I do in porn, the people are paramount and they treat the performers as the, I mean, there is no porn without performers. Right. So I don't know. I guess I just feel like when I do porn, I'm valued as a human a lot more than I do on like a mainstream set. But that being said, I'm not, I've never pursued like acting as a big career. So I don't, I don't mean to speak for anyone else's experience, but that's just mine. I have never been in a porn set. So I can't speak from your experience. Don't lie, Alan. No, but I feel, I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, I agree with that. Uh, just for the fact that maybe it's more of a family. I know that's weird to say, but like you're you more of a family kind of atmosphere when you're I doing, kind of, you, I mean. I don't know if that's it, a proper term I should be using. I feel like people in porn, at least my experiences, they're very, um, we help each other out. We help each other get parts in films. We help, we promote each other. And it doesn't feel as adversarial as like other forms of acting or modeling seem to be it seems like people are very people help each other out i feel like i feel like no pun intended but things are kind of stripped away in porn i think there's like you know you kind of have to just bear everything you know not just your you know take your clothes off but you're doing something that that people view as very intimate and so you have to be um i I would think you would have to be very natural and very real with each other and on a on a, at least on a narrative set, everybody's playing a role. Even the crew members are playing a role. Like everybody's trying to get their next job or um, prove that they're that they have a voice, or the performers are pretending to be other people and they have an image to uphold for you know so they can get other jobs. Um, so I, I wonder if maybe there's there's an aspect of the fact that you have you're sort of required innately to be more real um on a on a porn excuse me on a yeah. porn set than uh I well know. i i this is just a question um when you're on these sets in the mainstream movies mm-hmm. do people understand the background you're coming from too because i feel like also if she's on a regular movie set because I, I personally guess and, and i've heard stories before i'm glad that i've been on the sets that i've been on and gotten to work with people that are generally nice. And even my auditions I go to, I'm surprised because people, like girls will sit down and be like, hi, how are you? I, I've been, trust me, there are so many girls who will look you up and down and just be like, oh my God, what, yeah. who, why is this girl here? I get that too. But I'm wondering also, and this is just a question, that maybe if somebody knows the background you're coming from, then they go, oh, she's a porn star. She's not an actress. She's, uh, You know what I mean? So then you're getting with the people not only that have treated me that same way, and that, that's far and few between for some reason. I think everyone knows how hard it is to get a job now. Movies are changing. Netflix coming out with their own. Everything's changing. You know, people know how hard it is to get a job now. And I have truly been surprised at how nice people are, not only on sets but auditions, but especially the ones that would treat me or anybody else, even crew members, like crap, wonder if they go, oh, then they think, oh, she's a porn star. So, you know what I mean? Do you think that that is a carries over or do they not even know like they don't even know who you are and then you come in and you're doing a real thing and they're still jerks not only to you the crew the you know um honestly i find that when people know that i do porn it um it warms them up a little bit towards me there are always people and i find unfortunately especially women who when they find out that i do porn are very dismissive and very um cunty but for the most part when it comes out that i do porn then it i don't know it just puts people at ease maybe because it's like oh well this isn't even what she does so she's not real competition or you know I don't know exactly what the feelings are but I mean it certainly plays a factor in the way that people yeah. perceive me on or offset but no that's a really good point 
so what do you guys think about Wes's uh I think it's awesome. I really like it. I, I think do it's too. really well thought out. Just I think it makes sense. The book was an allegory for the politics at the time and I think that it's very probable and very likely and I think it's very insightful that it would be an allegory for Hollywood at the time. That's awesome. Especially Good job, at that Wes. time, right after everything crashed and they brought it back up, I think, absolutely. I think it's a great theory. Um, I enjoy the theory. I th- I'm more uh, along the lines of the religious uh, aspects of the film when it sure. comes to that it's more of an atheistic theory mm. about it. Uh, Please expand. God is not real. He's really immortal behind a curtain. We create our own gods. We created our own gods. Um, I think in the original uh, novel, everybody saw the Emerald City because they were forced to wear uh, yeah. green glasses. Yeah. And uh, the witch was baptized in the end. Huh. Yeah. So, well, there's two. I think there's two forms. What some people are saying, oh, it's a Christian film. And some people say, well, no, it, it's saying that God isn't real. A God is immortal. And I read that early on Christian fundamentalists, I think, tried to ban the book or something saying it was uh, very, you know, anti I suppose Christian. If, if you were atheist, you could argue that um, even if you're forced to be baptized, you know, being baptized will destroy you. Well, yeah. Like you what know? happens once you're baptized, once you accept God, you're completely desecrated. Yeah. You're so like- Especially from ni- in 1939, I feel like there'd be more of a religious aspect to the film one way or another mm. than perhaps trying to make it in Hollywood. But right. I do like your theory as well. Cool. Well, that's the best thing about art and writing and words and experiences like that. You can take it any way you want. Yeah. One you know, of my favorite authors, John Green, has a phrase and it's that books belong to their readers. So however you're interpreting it is the right way to interpret Absolutely. it because it is yours to interpret. Yeah. And they're shooting The Fault in Our Stars now. Yes, they are. The screenwriter totally follows me on Twitter. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> I got way too excited about that. <laughs> when it comes to the other aspect, you know, some people say the yellow brick road is the path to enlightenment and religion and stuff like that. But there's two things that, that I saw online that I thought were pretty funny. Is One, uh, when she first starts going around the yellow brick road, mm-hmm. where the hell does a red brick road go? Because there's two roads. The, the red one that spirals out from the yellow one. I don't um, know if that's in the book There's at all. a very detailed map in the books of all of Oz. Really? Oh, okay. That that's I could cool. probably pull up. I feel like they can... show the map in um, the new movie. I think they might. Like I think they times. do, actually. Yeah, Because yeah. they, they're planning their battle, stra- their yeah, yeah. battle strategy yeah. and, and they, they show the map. they about the poppy field. Yeah. But I, it could just be that the red brick road ends once the yellow takes over, you know, in the spiral. But still, it's like, I'd like to see a film or somewhere where that red brick road goes. Make it. You know what's amazing no. about this is I all this stuff that I'm learning, like uh, when I was young watching The Wizard of Oz, th- here's the only thing I knew about it. I didn't know about either it was what wh- like Wes. I really do like your interpretation of it about it's a young girl's uh, journey towards you know becoming an actress and all this stuff, or the religious way uh, the Yellow Brick Road is to uh, enlightenment all this stuff. When I was little. All I knew is that if this was on at night, I was staying up past my bedtime, and I was so happy about it, and I got to watch all my favorite characters. Like, that's the only thing, even to this day until this very moment of this podcast, the only thing I knew about was Oz is I loved it, and that I was going to get to stay up late if it was on, because it would always kind of start, well, for a kid later, and it lasted forever. Yeah. And uh, and now I'm going, like, I never knew, or to knew, know that, you know, Christians wanted to ban the book because they thought that it was, like, I, I never knew this stuff. It's fantastic. It's crazy. This is what Salman Rushdie says of The Wizard of Oz. Salman Rushdie believes that one of the things that makes Oz so powerful is that it lays bare the weakness of adults as witnessed by NTM and Uncle Henry's inability to save Toto and, of course, by the wizard's own powerlessness. 
and the need for children to do their own growing up as the Wicked Witch of the West grows down, he writes, so too is Dorothy seen to have grown up. And that's why they all hate him, because he wrote something about the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, that's it. I had forgotten that I, I had an idea about Toto, too, but I didn't. I hadn't put it in my notes. About Toto? Yeah, that Toto like represents, like it's like that thing that you bring from home. You know, like you show up on a, on a bus or a train to L.A., and you, you, all you have is a suitcase, and but you have like that one reminder of home inside that suitcase, and that's what Toto represents. Because every time she talks to Toto, she talks about home. You know, it's like that's the one thing that brings her back every time is Toto. That's a good point. What is your thing that you brought from home? What is the your what is your Toto? That's interesting because I'm like I'm kind of a pack rat, so I I I came with a U-Haul. It, my story is that I drove here from Seattle. Um, my wife and I, we packed up our things into one U-Haul, and we came here without a place to live with $3,000 in our pocket. And wow. that was what we were going to do. It was like, if we, don't, if we don't just do it, we're never going to do it. So, so you really just set out to follow your Hollywood dream. Yeah. I, that's yeah. really cool, Wes. Also, just for what it's worth, another film that's about the Hollywood dream and like following your dreams, The Muppet Movie. Ugh, love it. It's it's based on Jim Henson's story of moving to Hollywood to follow his dream. That's awesome, Jenny. What's your Toto? I did the same thing. I uh, didn't know one single person out here, and I saved up all my money. And uh, my brother was actually nice enough to journey across country with me, uh, which was at times a little hectic because we would get in fights about stupid stuff. Um, but yeah, I got a U-Haul. Uh, had my two dogs with me. My brother, all my stuff, came out here, found my place. I. I'm starting to think, though, if you just do it, if you just pack, if you say, I'm going to pack my stuff, I'm going to come out here no matter what happens, I honestly think you've already made it. Because so many of my friends back home are like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do something. Whether it's L.A. or not, they're like, one day I'm going to move to Seattle. I'm going to move to Italy. I'm going to, I'm going yeah, to do this. And they're all still back home, which mm-hmm. is fine. Listen, I got nothing against people staying home. Uh, getting married, having a beautiful family, whatever. But I know that you used to talk about doing something else, and you didn't, which is uh, it's fine. It's, it's totally fine. But I feel like if you just pack your shit and you go, I'm going to do it. If you just make it out there, if you just make it in that U-Haul to that place and you find a place to live, you've already won the ha- half, yeah. at least half of it. At least yeah. half of it. I, I feel did like, it. I feel like all our stories are pretty similar. I want to know about you, Ella. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, the day after I graduated college, I got in the car with my mom, and we drove out here from Miami, and that was 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. A, a friend of mine came out a couple weeks later, but then left after a year. You know, some people do come, but at least they tried. Yeah. Um, and if they don't feel it, then you don't feel it, and you can go back at least. But, uh, but how I would you? rather fail after a year and go back yeah. home and go, well, I did it, and know that I tried, then... And have it's not those necessarily, dreams, you know, late at night where you wake up and go, oh, yeah. if I only would have back then. It I might not be considered a failure... Maybe even Not they just was like, oh, we tried it yeah. and we didn't like it. It's an experience. I think a lot of people are afraid of that. I think they would rather think that they, you know, if they had, they probably could have rather than actually doing it and possibly not ending the way that they want their story to end. What, what's your my your coming to L.A. story? I was a librarian in Boston. I kind of moved around a lot because I was living in my hometown and then I was like, I think I'm going to go to grad school fucking somewhere. So then I moved to Illinois and then I finished grad school and I was like, I really want to live in Boston. I'm just going to go do that now. And so I did that. And then I fell in love with a boy. And then three months later, I was living in L.A. I packed up my shit. I didn't have a lot of it because I had already been moving around a lot. So it was me and my dog and like my leopard print couch. 
and which some other trying shit. to sell which i still really need to get rid of i love her but it's time it's time to part ways so is your is is your dog your toto i think my dog is my toto i also have a little dolly um a little creepy alien with creepy looking eyes because they broke and had to be replaced and she wears a little black dress that was like my blankie when i was a kid it's no. i'm definitely too old to be sleeping with something like this but you know no, no way. I still have my first teddy bear, yellow bear. He's ginormous and I still have him. Oh. He used to be more ginormous till my mom put him in the washer and then the dryer. But oh. it's okay. So I'm your, over that's it. Your toto I guess my Toto at that point coming across the country were my two boxers. Like I wasn't going to go anywhere without them. Right. So, See, I didn't have anything like that. Nothing? Florida. No. Nothing I cared enough about that I can just leave if I really wanted to. I don't know if that's sad or not. My dog is the one thing. Like, I could go anywhere. I could pick up and leave right now as long as I could take Gonzo. Totally. Yeah. He's See, I didn't have a dog at the time if I did. Totally. But. Speaking of having dogs, I had... This is really off topic, but it's in my head. So, for some reason, my husband was joking this morning about cutting the dog's paws off because if he doesn't have paws, then he can't run. I don't know. And so I spent a good part of my morning, like, thinking of what I would have to say to a jury after I stabbed someone in the dick... For cutting my dog's paws off. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought I'd check. That's, right. <laughs> I think you would be... I, I don't think they'd even bring you to court for that. It's like, well, they cut my dog's paws off. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. They, no. they deserved it. Oh, you, know, I, you know what I think my Toto is? What's your Toto? He's probably going to hate this, but my roommate. Oh. He's going to hate that I referred to him as Toto. He doesn't Aww. listen to this. He's not my sidekick. He's, He's my, your buddy. one of my best friends. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was a groomsman at my wedding, you know, like you carry him around in a basket. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but like, but you know, I the best things that ever happened to me in Seattle, um, which is what I consider my hometown, um, were things in college. You know, like meeting my wife and getting married there, and I went to high school there. Mm. Um, so Chris is sort of like sort of represents that time where you know where. I, we met in college and that's also where I met my wife and we both lived in student housing and, and then he, we live together now here. Wes, so. I love you. You're kind of like a Spielberg movie. <laughs> he is, right? That might be the that's best the thing I've ever heard about That's the feeling you put in Wes. my heart. Like, I just adore you. One of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me. That oh, pretty yeah. much describes Wes. I feel the best answer would be that you're your own Toto. Sure. If you really no, want to get no, he said his roommate. Steel-hearted. You know, no, I mean, just, he said his roommate. I think about it. Well, it's hard. It's hard when you when you've been here, you know, or somewhere long enough that you've really created a home there. And like, honestly, my wife is like hands down the biggest supporter I have. And it was it took you know a lot of guts for her to be willing to like travel here for my dream. You know, um, so it kind of doesn't really matter where. I am as long as I have her, um, but she, I wouldn't c- call her my Toto, you know. No, but I'm saying like you start off on your own, like in Atlanta yeah. before I had my boyfriend, before I had my daughter. Like you're always trying to put yourself where you belong. So as long right. as you listen to your heart and take yourself where you want to go, you're kind of just traveling with your own inner Toto. So Wes, perhaps you are her Toto. That's possible. Hmm. Hmm. Well, there's no sappy stuff to segue into here, which I wish I could. No sappy stuff? There's no, gotta be sappy so, stuff. So there's no sappy stuff here. Yeah. Are we trying to get to the new movie? Ugh. <laughs> get me started. Yeah, I think she summed it up. Um, it was pretty good. Get me started. Jenny's review of Oz the Great and Powerful. Yeah. 
I will get to it in just a second. I just want to read you guys a couple of interesting things here. W.C. Fields was originally chosen for the role of the wizard. Interesting. Yeah, but I the studio ran out of patience with him because of a contract a dispute. Oh. Here's something, something kind of cool. Margaret Hamilton, uh, who played the Wicked Witch, uh, her makeup was so you know, in-depth that she couldn't eat solid food for as long as she was the Wicked Witch, which was weeks and weeks. So she had to live on a liquid diet. Uh, during filming of the Oz sequences. That sucks. Um, she was just ahead of her time in terms of actresses. I'd be like, film my scenes first. Yeah. And then I'm done. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then... Um, act- Some Christian Bale stuff right there. As we all, as we all know, uh, <laughs> the scene where when Munchkin Land, when she erupts in a flame of fire, uh, apparently that was like the first take, which was good. They did another take where she was burned... Uh, basically, the trap door, I think, didn't open, and it, her makeup set fire, and she got second-degree burns. You Jesus. know, the, I remember hearing that. The grease was like a copper-based makeup. Oh her hands, face had to be treated, so she spent six weeks in the hospital before she can go back to filming. Was she able to go on a regular diet at that point? or For those six weeks, yes. Yeah. So we don't like, call it a liquid diet in Hollywood. We call it a cleanse. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, but isn't that a different thing? Because isn't a cleanse a specific thing you have to drink? I mean, it can be anything. It can be juice. It can be oh, that okay. shitty pepper lemonade. That it can was be that shitty pepper lemonade. Any, anything that's just giving you an excuse not to eat solid foods. Well, I had an entire pizza last night um, Congratulations. for dinner, and I enjoyed every minute of it. And then I got a late uh, birthday Sunday with a candle in it that I didn't know that I was going to get, and I ate that too. Yeah, yeah. Granted, I didn't have lunch, but what kind of pizza? Did I don't you do have? liquid white that pizza with pepperoni. Like a, uh, that sounds so good. That so. doesn't sound like what an actor should from, eat. From where do you want to listen? I, I can do eleven pull ups now. I, I can I got it. What what? Any uh was it like, it wasn't a chain pizza place, right? It actually <laughs> It was like Domino's. We, we went to California Pizza Kitchen last night. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. With some friends. But uh yeah, liquid I don't I think a cleanse is just a really like nice, socially acceptable way of saying like I've decided I'm starving I'm going to have an eating week. disorder yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. Well, her starving herself probably uh, gave to her character because she was supposed to be a wicked witch. So mean. And she was probably grumpy. grumpy, cranky. I would have yeah. never thought that so many people had gotten hurt making a movie before in my life, especially the Tin Man, which I kind of wanted to make a horrible joke. If he ended up in an iron lung, then he kind of did become a Tin Man. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. Buddy Epson. Poor Buddy Epson. Uh, but again, it said he lived 16 years longer than everybody else. Good. In the <laughs> One last thing I want to go to into, into this. I want an iron lung. <laughs> for the Wizard of Oz, and then we can, we can stop with this. <laughs> Apparently, when they started test screening the film, it was uh, about two hours long, and I think they had to cut it down to like 90 minutes, which was the original running time of most movies at that time. And so that's when they cut out the jitterbug scene. <sighs> Every time you say it, it makes me think of Wham. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Apparently, the scary, well, apparently it took place after If I Only Had a Brain, and then they cut out a bunch of uh, reprises of, of songs. But one song it says that was almost deleted was Over the Rainbow, because MGM felt that it made the Kansas sequence too long, as well as being over the heads of the target audience of children. Uh, the studio also thought it, it was degrading for Judy Garland to sing in a barnyard. So, uh, Oh, you'll pay her less <laughs> yeah. than anybody, but you, and, and try and make her an 11-year-old girl, but... Yeah. It's degrading to have her... Shut up. Well, the producer and director fought 
hard to keep it and they actually obviously won and the song went on to win the academy award for best song of the year that reminds me of breakfast at tiffany's that happened for breakfast yeah. at tiffany's too and in 2004 the song's ranked number one by the afi institute of uh, 100 songs do you know that about breakfast at tiffany no but i would like to say that i saw that for the first time a couple years ago and it was not what i thought it was gonna be breakfast tiffany's i don't it's even heavy, know huh? what i thought it was gonna be but i yeah. i have no idea all i just know her iconic outfit from that and no idea what it was going to be about at but all. Was and it good? You're like, oh, it's about prostitution. Hooray. I mean, I love old movies. and I love studying characters and, and actors and all this stuff. But I don't know what I was thinking it was going to be. No idea. And then I was like, I liked what? it. I mean, I, liked I think it's a great it, movie. I thought it was really good. But they, no they after they screened the movie, they, um, the producer like or the studio head stood up and said, well, the first thing we're going to do is get rid of that fucking song. And Hepburn was like, over my dead body. <laughs> And then it became one of like the most iconic movie songs ever. She's fascinating to study. Okay, I'm going to go through some film facts here that are pretty cool. So, you know the fire that sparks, the, the fire sparks that come out of the ruby slippers when the witch tries to touch them? Yeah, yeah. Apple juice. They squirted apple juice out of the shoes and then sped it up so cool. that it looked like fire. So it's kind of interesting. That's, That's cool. That's weird. creative for, yeah. for yeah. Back, way back when. Mm-hmm. And the scene where Judy Garland has to slap uh, the lion, she couldn't stop giggling. So the director uh, supposedly slapped her. And then she got it on the next take. Like, she's like, this is how you do it. Slaps her. And then she stopped giggling. So <laughs> goes back yeah, to, That'll do it. Don't degrade yeah. her in the barn. Well, because she felt <laughs> yeah, bad. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is turning out. You guys are. This is ruining my dreams. It's, it's pretty funny. Movie. Uh, you know when the scarecrow gets a brain and recites the Pythagorean theorem? Okay. You remember that? Yeah. When he gets a brain, he mm-hmm. actually he says something smart. It's not the correct <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> yeah. It says Ray Bolger couldn't get it right after numerous takes, so they just used the best take. They thought no one would notice. Nobody's going to care about this, but I think it's funny. What Scarecrow says is the sum of the square roots of any two sides of an isosceles triangle is equal to the square root of the remaining side. The real Pythagorean theorem deals with right triangles, not isosceles triangles. Right. And the square of its two legs is equal to the square of the length of the hypotenuse. So whatever. Yeah. That makes me... That's hilarious. Yeah, people of the time obviously probably didn't catch it. Wow. Some... Geek obviously caught it, but that's pretty funny. Frank Morgan held the world rec- record for playing most characters in a single movie. He played Professor Marvel, the gatekeeper of Emerald City, the coach driver, the guard in front of the wizard's chamber, and of course the wizard. Uh, who now holds the world record for most characters in a movie? In a single film? Mm-hmm. This should be obvious. Um, I guess not. Come on, guys. Eddie Murphy. Uh, uh. Really? Really? There's got to be some animated. There's going to be some animated film. No, but that does, this is live action stuff. Uh, it has to be live action. Yeah. That's disappointing. <laughs> the, <laughs> Maybe if it was like a good movie. I thought that was obvious. Well, no. I mean, you say Johnny Depp or something. I, I don't know like if it's that. Nutty Professor or Coming to America, but Coming to America is awesome. He played like a million characters. Yeah, he more did. characters in, in Nutty Professor. Nutty Professor, yeah, yeah. probably. Coming was, to America is amazing, though. I'll, Coming to America is. His, Eddie Murphy's old movies are great. Just ah. like Tim Burton. <laughs> Tim Burton and Eddie Murphy both apparently it's, uh, have doppelgangers now and can't make a good film. That being said, the oil that was used to lubricate the Tin Man was chocolate syrup. Hmm. Hmm. And this one's for you. And then oh, for me? Yeah. Uh, when the song If I Had a Heart is playing and a girl speaks the words Wherefore Art Thou Romeo, the voice you're hearing is Adriana Casalotti. Oh, Snow White. Snow White. Yeah. And uh, the horses were uh, uh, colored by using Jello paste. And they <laughs> had to keep filming them really quick because the horses would lick it off. That's awesome. Yeah. So in the scene, you can see the driver, the the driver of the buggy, uh, trying to restrain the horse from licking itself. That's really. Have you I ever see behind the scenes footage where the horses are licking each other? Yeah. <laughs> I don't imagine your answer is going to be yes, but have you ever been covered in gelatin, like painted on as 
Because we did this. Funny you should say, say that, but um, no. We directed, my husband directed a music video for some kids who are staying with us right now. And the girl was like covered in gelatins and they painted it on so she could like tear off her skin. Mm-hmm. Okay. And apparently it was so painful. It was like, like her skin was red for days after and it ripped out. When I mentioned hair. stuck, like a bandaid. Yeah, right? it's really, really hard and really, really tough. But I imagine they probably washed it up the horses with just like Well, it was water. jello paste. So I think it was like, if they could lick it off, okay. it could probably it easily come off. Yeah. yeah. Two more things. Bert Lahr. A.K.A. the Cowardly Lion was the first to use the phrase "heavens to Murgatroyd," that Snugglepuss later became famous for because Snugglepuss's voice is based on his. That's Snagglepuss, cool. sorry, Snagglepuss. I said Snugglepuss. Yeah. Who's Snugglepuss? Um, Isn't that another character? <laughs> Has anybody tried the Pink Floyd uh, syncing up to Putting Wizard of Oz? It to that? No, I haven't. I haven't either. No. Oh, I have. I did I it actually it sync up. I don't do drugs, but yeah, it kind of works. It it's okay. Nothing to do with doing drugs. Does it go with the movie? I think it's supposed not? to make it like. You know? It's totally a stoner thing. It's totally yeah. like I know, but if I, if you stoner. weren't on anything, all it's asking is if the oh, it's supposed whole to. record yeah, yeah, matches up to early. yeah. I mean, like you're supposed to start it like right after the lion roars or something, like on the third roar. Or something. Well, yeah. it's funny because it says here if you're using a certain DVD, you have to start it here. If you're using this DVD because the frame rates are different, you have to do it here. Mm. So it's like, yeah. So basically, the whole thing is supposed to match up the music is. So I don't really think that's like a drug thing you know you know as someone who's edited a couple of things um you can put music to a lot of different videos i mean you could yes just drop music in and yeah we as a reality tv producer basically you can put music to any scene and it'll make it look better and it doesn't even matter what and sometimes it'll just sync up so i mean like you said it could be said the same for anything well there's sort of a rhythm and a cadence to not just performances, but editing in general. So yeah. if you have an edited, an already edited film, there's already sort of a rhythm to it anyways. So all you have to do is just find the right song that has the same rhythm and you're good to go. Yeah, yeah, but a whole album matching up? I'll have to try it sometime. I, I think see. it says here, like, certain scenes actually do, uh, you know, for instance, when Dorothy falls in the, in the pig pen, the music picks up, becoming somewhat panicky. When Annie M is, Annie M is gripping at the uncle's, uh, the music has a nagging woman's voice that matches Andy M perfectly. It's stuff like that, apparently, that just yeah, like the cash register in money, like it chimes like when certain yeah. things are happening. And it says the smoke turns black and blue when they're visiting the wizard, as the words "black and blue" are sung. So come I mean, on. come on now, that's, uh, that's why it's a stoner thing. I'm gonna get yeah. it. I'm gonna get it in 3D um, when it comes out in 3D. You guys can come over and watch it. Awesome. Oz the Great and Powerful. Not a huge fan. Um, I wasn't a fan either. James Franco is really good as like a bratty douchebag, <laughs> but which is what the which is what is. he was. But then towards the end of the film, I just didn't really buy his transition. Oh shit! How did I know? You know who directed it? Well, Sam Raimi. That's disappointing. I forgot Sam Raimi directed it. Well, it's got like some really uh, common Sam Raimi things in it, like the evil cam sort of makes its appearance early in the film. Uh-huh. Oz the Green Powerful, in case anybody doesn't know, is the prequel to The Wizard of Oz, starring James Franco, uh, Zach Braff as the flying monkey, Mila Kunis, who is my baby girl, uh, my, my baby mama. Okay. Uh, Rachel in, Weiss. In my head, Rachel Weiss. And the person who I thought um, was the standout of all of them was uh, Michelle Williams. Michelle Williams, yeah. also, again, three-way baby mama for me, uh-huh. because they're all gorgeous and all good actresses. I, I like them all, actually. That's the thing. I think the cast, and I'll agree with that, where James Franco plays those douchebag, like, more stoner-type characters way better. And I don't think he fit the part here, mm-hmm. uh, even though the wizard is a dick. But the, the witches, I think, were cast 
decently only because I have the hots from you guys. No disagree. way, dude. No? Mila Kunis, in the beginning, she was fine. She was yeah. something I haven't seen her play before. She was mm-hmm. slow. She what? Just because she was something different from before. Wes has and just like, been shaking his head. She was in a Book of Eli. Didn't see right, it. With, uh, I don't like her. Denzel Washington. Dude, I thought there's no way she's going to pull this off. She pulled that off so good. Right. So I thought that's when I gained more it. respect for her. Horrible, mm. horrible movie. Never watch it. Uh, gave respect for her. Beginning, it was fine. I was like, okay, I haven't seen the side of her before. She's slower. She's, you know, she's articulating more. She's, she's something I haven't seen. She didn't have enough to play the witch when she turned into it. She didn't have enough anger. She it didn't was have just enough makeup. She, yeah. yeah. It was she, just makeup. I'll agree with that. same person. James Franco, every five minutes, it looked like he was about to bust out laughing. The whole <laughs> movie. He's got, he's got If this face, had been so. like a young Frankenstein, Mel Brooksy kind of thing, or some kind of funny meant to be, this would have either went one way, or if this would, they just should have made this like uh, Avatar-ish, more animated, more Disney. Like uh, there was, there's no way that the casting was horrible. Uh, it was like somebody took a Wizard of Oz screensaver and turned it into a movie. Seriously. It's fan fiction, as far as I'm concerned. It's kind of mediocre fan fiction. I felt like like it was very Tim Burton-esque when it comes to the colors and the CG, which all looked fake to me. Um, I agree with you guys and James Franco. I don't necessarily. I agree with Mila Kunis once she turned to the witch because I thought that was dumb. But I thought the film, like, just for some reason, I don't know why I just went into it not really, like, thinking very much. But I, I laughed a lot. And I, I think it was supposed to be on purpose. There seemed to be a lot of jokes that were, like, out of the blue for me. And I was like, oh, that's pretty funny. Uh, Zach Braff is the stupid little monkey I thought was kind of funny, even though kind of dumb. I think it was a dumb movie, but it entertained me. And so I can't say it was horrible because I was actually entertained. The more I think about it, the less I like it. Um, I'm difference of opinion. I'm not a fan of Mila Kunis just in general. Um, I I tend to enjoy her more when she's playing like a normal person. So like in Ted or that '70s show, I kind of like her a little bit more. But like Book of Eli, like she's trying to be hardcore, like putting her sunglasses down. I don't know. I just don't buy like. And you know, at the beginning of the film, I thought she was better than when she was the witch. Yeah. Um, But I just don't buy things coming out of her mouth. It just like. I don't know. It's just something about her. I just don't buy her line delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really like it, it was actually interesting because it's a, it's a really interesting cast full of, you know, fairly decent actors um, that they don't do anything with. Them. They don't connect. The, None of the, them connected at all. The biggest problem for me with the film is not that the actors don't connect or the characters. It's that the film as a whole doesn't connect to the original. It's supposed to be a prequel to what we know and what we love. And they had a lot of like little, like kind of cheeky references, like um, the poppies or the monkeys and the, the munchkins and all this stuff. Or uh, you hear um, Dorothy's mom or you think Dorothy's mom references John Gale. Yeah. Being proposed to. Yeah. So there's a lot of things like that, but it actually like, as a whole, especially visually, does not connect to that film. And it's such a letdown for me. The only time that I ever buy any visual on the screen is if they're touching something. If they're not touching it, it looks awful. The CG munchkins look bad. Mm-hmm. The, I agree with that. the skylines look bad. The CG is just way over, over like, I don't know what it, it was. It just it, looked like animated. It's like yeah, a it's bad just, Disney ride. But it's yeah. not even, yeah, but it was not just, not just animated. Like, animated poorly because the characters like the CG versions of characters don't move like real people. So Mm -hmm. it's painfully obvious. So that's sort of my biggest problem with it. But I really like, I like the storyline. Uh, if it was, I agree, it could have been done way better. I I do like 
the story they went with when it comes to how he got there, that he was a scam artist, you yeah. know, snake oil salesman type magician, how she turned wicked and with the sister and the good wish. I liked all that. I thought that was all sure. a good start to going into the Wizard of Oz. So originally they had thought about having Robert Downey Jr. play his part, which... Well, he just kind of elevates every role. Like, you know. Yeah, I think he would have hit a lot of things that James Franco did not hit that he just didn't make it to. I felt like I was watching, instead of watching a story unfold, I felt like I was watching people act. Oh my yeah, God, for sure. absolutely. Okay. And well, Robert Downey Jr. Like, exudes sort of a vulnerability. Like He's got something kind of a layer underneath mm-hmm. that I don't know that James Franco... His layer underneath is just smarm. Just smarmy. Yeah, couldn't get big enough. They don't... Ha- At least for that role, they, they don't have it. Milo couldn't get big enough to be the witch... Rachel was okay. Mm. I thought Rachel was okay. Michelle yeah. Williams is Michelle Williams, and she always does. Like, she's- but like, could you imagine anybody else in any of those roles? Like, that's the thing for me. Like, a movie that is a really great movie, you can't imagine some another director making. You can't imagine another actor being in. You that can role. imagine anybody else playing I'm any of those. Pretty roles sure that if we all sat down here real quick and thought about it, we could change any of those people out. Right. Well, the other disappointing thing. I mean, uh, probably the the main disappointing thing to me was the fact that Sam Raimi directed it, and he's usually like you know, amazing to me. And yeah. that's the most disappointing thing. But I, I'll agree with you guys. I guess maybe I just didn't hate it as much because I laughed. No, and I did too. I, I, I think you're right about the story. I re- I liked it. I thought, okay, that's a really good way to get him there. He's like, okay, I got to go. And then his balloon hits a storm. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'll never, you know, I'll change. I can change my ways. And then of course, right when he gets there, he's handing out music boxes and whatnot. But mm. uh I don't. I just think that you need a better casting choice. And like as Ella said, they're just acting. They're in every scene. You have this great story. I need connection. I need good a good cast connection to get me from point A to point B. And the story was good enough to get somewhere. But I I never got into it. Like no. I said, I literally thought every five minutes, James Franco, no matter what scenario he was in, was going to start busting out laughing. Who I did love. And who I wish was real so much with all my heart, little China girl. Yeah, China girl, absolutely. Oh, yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> those that the, she was probably the best part of the film. Yeah, you're right. It actually right. looked good. I that loved was it looked good. CG. It looked I good. The interaction her. with her was good, and she her character was. I loved her. Who played enduring. her? Was it the same girl as the girl at the beginning of the movie? Yes. That couldn't, it was the same yes. actress. Yes. Yes. Okay. Oh yeah, you're right. It was. Sam Wait, Sam which one? A little, little girl, girl in the wheelchair, and he yep. she oh, wants oh. him to oh. fix her legs. And oh, I didn't even he actually does fix together. her legs. Oh yeah, I just wasn't oh, sure yeah. if it was the same actress mm-hmm. or not. Yeah, it is. Okay. What happened at the? What's the very end of the movie? Since you saw it more recently, what what happens at the end? He makes out with Glinda, and he's gonna. They live kiss in, in the in the booth, oh. and they. I actually hate that, by the way. What that he hooks up with Glinda? Yeah, did. I'm not a fan. Well, it, it doesn't go into the Wizard of Oz yeah. storyline. Yeah, it, it makes you kind of wonder, like, how? Yeah, why? Couldn't Glenda have just hooked something up for Dorothy? Like, yeah, you know, like, like you know, if she was if she was that tight with it's your boo, girl. Why don't you just give me like his phone number? Yeah. <laughs> but there was no ending like Wizard of Oz where it was like, oh, was it just a dream? It was it, it was actually no. no. He's there. This is for what happened. He's going to be okay. the wizard now. Which also begs the question: joke. What about the traveling salesman in, or the not the traveling salesman, but the the Professor Marvel, Professor Marvel in mm-hmm. the in the in the Wizard of Oz? Well, yeah. obviously, well, a lot of things were changed. It doesn't flow seamlessly. But well, if you think about it now, he is going to become the old man behind the curtain because they've now hooked this apparatus up to where anytime people come to see the wizard, he's going to be up there. So I thought, okay, so now we're getting to the point where he will one day be the old man and someone will get, come again. And, I and get that. But Professor Marvel, like Dorothy sees all of the people from her past, just, just as James Franco's Oz sees all these people from his past, like Zach Braff and whatever, right? 
So in order for that to work for the second film, for Dorothy to have seen that, that means the original Oscar has to be back in Kansas in order for her to be able to see him again as to be able to interact with him in real life, to interact with him again in her dream or whatever. So, so yeah, yeah, it's just like kind of weird to me that, so it's like just misses the loop of where it should be able to go. It just kind of, yeah, there's a lot of loops. like that. Yeah. Well, (laughs) do you know his full initials? Oscar. Oh, he has a crazy name. His initials are Oz pinhead. Really? Really? Yeah. O Z P I N H E A. So he says his whole name at one point in the movie. It's like really long. Yeah. Unlike like Dumbledore. Yeah, that's Only not as cool. Albus, Percival, Wolfric, Brian, Brian, Dumbledore. The Brian's the best part. Yeah. yeah. I cheated. I looked at my leg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have his initials. We didn't really get into Glinda the Good Witch very much, but she tells Dorothy that all bad witches are ugly and then asks her if she's a good witch or a bad witch. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> yes. So, so it's like, wait, you don't know if she's a good witch or a bad witch and you just said that all bad witches are ugly. Right. Um, <laughs> and in the book, the slippers are silver. Yeah. Um, but obviously, they changed them to ruby because of the whole Technicolor thing. Because of the because oh, she's because she has to become a woman soon. Because they have to explain that she's her, young because her shoes she, were dipped in menses. We know her wears. youth. Jeez, Louise. It's coveted by the old. It's like all about Eve. It's like uh, the young ingenue comes in and ousts the older actress, and so she like the older actress plots against the young actress. So it's a you know, classic Hollywood story. No one? No? No. If I, like, if I had unlimited resources and funds, my two style icons would be Ozma of Oz and Padme Amidala. Okay. Because they both have That's really beautiful, extravagant. really extravagant, really flowy, gorgeous clothing, and I absolutely love it. How about the childlike empress from The NeverEnding Story? Oh, my God. I wanted her headpiece so bad. Can somebody please explain to me the name he calls out of the window at the end? I know it's his mom's name, right? Mm-hmm. What is he saying? It says here in the movie it's unaudible. Subtitles and closed captioning don't help. Okay, yeah. Some theories so are knows. he screams moon child. Who directed that? Wolfgang Peterson. All right. I bet Wolfgang, he knows. I bet we just call Wolfgang Peterson up. Um, but did you? how many times have you seen The NeverEnding Story? A billion. When I was a kid, probably... 10, 15 times, maybe. Okay, because I've seen it, like Alan said, a billion. But the funny thing is, I loved Labyrinth, too. I loved it. So I got it a couple years ago as a birthday or Christmas present. Yeah. And I put it in one night. I was like, let me watch this. I can't, like, Legend I love, Never Any Story. Yeah. Even play the Navigators. Silly things like that, I'll yeah. love forever. So I put Labyrinth in. I stopped it after 20 minutes because I couldn't take how much Jennifer Connelly was whining when she got in there. She's like, because they would change the sidewalk arrow. She's like, where's my brother? Why are you changing the sidewalk? Why are you? Like 15 minutes of her just whining. I was like, she is really damn whining. I couldn't take it anymore. I read something online. David Bowie's hotness kind of makes up for it. I wanted to wait for him to come, but I couldn't. Fast forward. I know. I'll I'll try it next time because that's what I'm saying. Like sometimes things that you know you love, now I can't stand that. Like Alf. I can't watch Alf. We well, watched Alf reruns the yeah, other day. I can't watch Alf. Family mm-hmm. Matters. I can't watch. Ugh, I hate that um, show. You know, um, in the book, the never any story. I think it's Moonchild. That's why everybody's saying Moonchild. Oh, really? Yeah. The best movies when we grew up, like Labyrinth, are always darker. And I feel like everybody's movies now are all sweet and Disney-like. And so you think you think um, 
the idea of like growing up as a child, like being a child and have and being forced to grow up is something that's it's a lot. But those darker than what stories. You just said. I'm just saying, when we grew up, we had more darker movies. Yeah, but those darker movies, like those, that those, ended up being the better movies than the, the ones today. But those oh. are all kind of about growing up. You know what I mean? For sure. But they're done. I mean, movies. Yeah, like ET. Like I mean, like that's one of the reasons why ET is my favorite movie. Is, See, but I think ET is more not so dark as say Labyrinth and. Um, or legend. I don't know. Or if you think about it. Or... Exactly. I still think I understand what you're saying about ET, but I still think it's less dark. I would ET would be more of a movie that would, could still be made today, whereas Labyrinth and things like that. What, what movies are equivalent okay. to those nowadays? For a kid growing up, when we grew up, well, I mean, besides any of the Muppet movies that have come out recently, but they're not. No, they're in not. The past years or something. I mean, I can't Labyrinth think of is anything. kind of dark. It's like it's very... David Bowie. Coming and stealing a kid, yeah, right. And it's like mirror mask. Would that count as a family friendly? No, that's not a family film. What is that? Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's not a family. That's not a kids film. I'm talking about a film. E.T. I think that there could be equivalent films nowadays. I think it'd be way watered down. Uh, Like, well, example of that. J.J. Abrams. uh, What's him call it? Uh, Super Eight. Super Eight. I think Super Eight's like in line with those older films. I think it's in line. I I think it's in line with E.T. I think it's way more intense than E.T. No, but what I'm saying is I'd say those are equivalent, whereas Labyrinth and, and uh, even, well, you guys didn't see Return to Oz, but we're going to get to it, um, are way darker. Uh, legend. Uh, what why, else? I'll tell you why E.T. Uh, Never-ending story. I Let mean, me that is, you. wait, wait, no, no, no. Never-ending story is a kid's movie straight I, through. There's freaking a horse dying in the swamp. And he's, That's a pretty traumatic experience. How traumatic is lie. that? So it's like crumbling I just, statues. We just talked about E.T. dying, but my point is, let me respond to what you mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. E.T. could not be made today, and the example of that is replacing the, the guns in E.T. with walkie-talkies. Today, E.T. as a film couldn't be made the way it was back pretty then, sure and it would be way watered down today. It would I, be way I could be down. wrong, but I'm pretty sure I read Spielberg said something he regrets that he changed it. Did he, I read that yeah, somewhere? He's, he's recently kind of come around and said, I'm never going to change digitally anything. Yeah. change anything for my films ever again. They're always going to exist in the time. Why? What did he do? He changed the guns at the end of E.T. to walkie-talkies for the, because the kids are right, racing on their bikes and they do the roadblock and all the FBI guys have shotguns and stuff pointed at the kids. And I got his reasoning. His reasoning was... As an adult, he's looked back, and now he's ha- has he's had kids and stuff, and he says, you know, I never intended to have adults point guns at children. I get it. I get why he did it. I think it should... That's not I, a reason that E.T. can't be made now, though. He would just I think put it is. I think it is. Well, Super I think, 8 had guns pointing at change, everyone. I think when you change the... Not at kids. Not at, not yeah, at children. Fine. He, they won't put it. We live in a completely different age where we point, we treat children differently, and we do that in film as well. Pointing as in real life. guns at them at the end did not make ET ET. That is a very minor thing to I say think, that ET can't I think be it made be, today. I think it would be watered down. They pointed guns at kids. No, because look at Super Eight. Super Eight's not watered down. What else do you think Super they would have watered not, down? Is, what? What else do you think they would have changed? Like, what do you think would be I different think, about I don't it? Think, I don't think E.T. would have drank beer and had Elliot be drunk in school. Um, I think mm. his relationship with the little girl would have been slightly different. Before what 10 was PM. E.T. rated when it came out? PG. Actually, what was Gremlins rated when it came out? I don't know. PG. But do you know what, what the significance of Gremlins was? What? And the, we're talking about dark movies. The significance of Gremlins is... Gremlins was pretty dark. It created... Steve Spielberg film. Um, created the PG-13 rating because they were going to rate it R and they were like, we can't rate a Steven Spielberg movie. I have seen nudity in PG-13 movies. Nowadays, E.T. 
would come out and it would be PG-13. It wouldn't be a big deal. I'm, all I'm saying is the, the whole point of this was that E.T., I feel like a movie like that is made, Mac whereas films like uh, Labyrinth and the darker themed films aren't made as much. That's all, I'm, that's all I was saying. But you look, if you look at a film even, even close to the same era, like a Mac and Me or a Flight of the Navigator, those films aren't, oh, nearly, aren't nearly as dark and they don't have the same kind of connection. Yeah, but yeah, totally. But they're but that's my point. Is they that, still made non dark movies back then. I know, but my point is that it wouldn't be made. I'm I'm just saying that I don't believe that that E. T. would have been as intense and as dark if they made it today. I don't agree, agree to disagree. Uh, yeah, agree only because disagree. everything well there's two ways to look at that. Why is because nowadays you can't do anything. You can't say the pledge to the flag in class because it has the word God. You can't and whether it's mm-hmm. movies, TV shows, music, whatever People want to censor it, yet everything I look on the TV, every teenage girl's pregnant, you got Honey Boo Boo running around, like, what, what are you, what are people really basing the fact that they wouldn't like an ET today or they would have to change it because, what, their moral standards are higher? It's the opposite. I think it has to do with, honestly, something more simpler. I think back then they were just way more creative than they are now. Just the way it is. You think they're I don't more think, creative. I think they were than, more creative. They are now. Yeah, when you have films like Neverending Story, Labyrinth, I think they Legend, had restrictions. ET. I think they had I restrictions think that, that all forced them to be more creative. Maybe, but I don't know that. I like, don't in, think it has anything to do with it. I think that they, uh, Steven Spielberg. He'll absolutely tell you yeah, that the but restrictions. Still, it's like things. the restrictions that you're talking about. For me, I don't think matter. I think when you have a good story, you're going to make it, and you're going to be able to make it work. It's not going to matter that you can't show a boob or you can't have Elliot drink alcohol. You're going to figure out a way to do the same thing within those restrictions to make that story come out. Steven Spielberg, I'm sure, can make E.T. without Elliot drinking alcohol. But the moment we change those things. He can figure out something else. He's the, smart enough the to figure out a way to do those it. Things. The moment we change those things, everybody bitches about it. Yeah, but everybody's going to bitch about everything all the time, no matter what happens. That's just the way this world is. In terms People of People bitch about anything. In terms of creativity, you think that they were more creative 20, 30 years ago? I think that there are stories that hadn't been told yet, whereas today those stories have been told. I think those stories have been told, but I think part of the reason why a lot of the same stories keep getting told or why the stories are so underwhelming is because the movie system is broken. The way that movies are distributed, the way that film is consumed, it's it's structured in a way that if you're really creative and you're really doing something different and you're doing something new, sometimes you'll be successful. Sometimes you'll be that indie breakthrough that ends up making millions. But Mm -hmm. so often you, you get a festival run, you maybe get a couple of like art theaters and then maybe Netflix. And then that's where you might thrive. But I think that it's just harder to be a filmmaker and have a unique point of view or have a unique story that you want to tell if you're not telling it in the way that, People are, or the studios are bred to. It blows my mind that you that you think that people are less creative now than they Here's were. Here's the thing. Wait, let Here's me finish. The, no, 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 no. Let me finish. Let me, let me go. No, with, let well, me finish. Okay, go ahead. So the reason it blows. <laughs> the reason. It, okay, go ahead. The reason it blows my mind is the tools that we have and the the things that we're creating. Oz, the Great and Powerful, is a really good example of somebody having unlimited tools and being able to do something so grand. We didn't like it necessarily, but a seven-year-old may have loved Oz because of how it looked visually. You know, that might be the movie that makes them a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to people like George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, they say we have tools now that we didn't have then, and it it has opened the door for us to be more creative now. 
It, you can read interview after interview with those guys, and they say that. I, that's fine, but I'm not going to live my life by their gospel. I mean, no, but, I completely agree with you. That's not what you said. No, I completely agree with the technology has opened things that we couldn't do before. But people are less creative. I, yeah, I, that has nothing to do with stories. It has nothing to do with stories, but here's I the thing. I believe that that has here's to do with the telling the story. I'm agree- here's the thing, though. Ella makes a very good point, which I agree with. Those stories could be out there. They could have been written. They're just not being made because the studio system is broken. Or they are being made, but you're not seeing it. Exactly. Well, see, different. I agree with that. That's different than, than there's less creativity. In, and I, but people, see, that's that my opinion. Said, that's my opinion, though. No, I, and I stick by it. I think people are way less creative than they used to be. But that's just like the way it is. It's like that's my opinion. two different things. It's like you're saying. No, it's not. Yeah, wait, listen. You're saying. Okay, tell me what are, I'm saying. There are people out there who have stories that just aren't writing them, but, they, but they're, the stories are, are there. That is what you just said. No, I said that there's, sto- there's scripts out there that aren't being made. So they're written. Okay, so okay. there are creative stories out mm-hmm. there, but you're saying there's less creativity. So there's stories out there. I don't they're see just why not being made, but there's not enough creative people. I don't see, I don't see what, why you think... Because they con- those two statements contradict each other. They're, they're not at all. They're not at all. Yeah. I think that people not are just all. as creative. I think they just perhaps lack some of the gumption to or the that's money, possible. or the money, or, or the resources. Here's the thing. You know or... what I can base my opinion on, which is a very valid opinion because it's my own, and I'm sorry that it's not yours, and so you're getting angry about it. But I base my opinion on what I see. I don't know what the hell your other people are doing. I don't care. I go to the movies. Uh, I see a ton of films, and I base my opinion on what's out there. And I base my opinion what I saw in the 80s. I'm having a conversation what I saw. Let me, with let you me, about what no, you're no, saying. No, no, let me finish what I'm saying so that you can understand because you weren't understanding what I was saying. So I can only base on what I've seen. Now, back in the day, the films that I saw growing up, I feel were incredible. They still, you know, like the Goonies. I'm wearing a fucking Goonies shirt. They're incredible stories. Incredible films were made. Are there still incredible films being made? Absolutely. But I feel like the films that I grew up with are way better than the films that are coming out now. There's still amazing films coming out. But I feel like more amazing films came out then. Now, when it comes to Ella's point that the studio system is broken and a lot of films aren't being made and we aren't seeing it, it's very possible. Maybe I'm not seeing the amount of films because back then more films were able to get through the system. That's very possible. I don't know. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the films that I saw growing up when it comes to family films, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, films for kids were way more creative than the films that I'm seeing now. That's one point. The second point is, could there be creative scripts out there that aren't being made? Yes. But that doesn't change my opinion that people are being less creative. Just because people are being less creative ask you a question doesn't about that? mean that there aren't scripts out there that are creative. So can I ask you a question about that? Yes. If there are creative scripts out there, mm-hmm. how does that mean they're not being creative? I just started this off saying I base my opinion on what I've seen. I do know that there are really, really creative Obviously. scripts out there. And there are really creative movies out there. Yeah. But to suggest that there are less creative people now than there were 20 years ago, I think is not only ignorant but i think it does a disservice to our industry and it's kind of offensive to me because i'm one of those people yeah but you're you're see you're taking it personally for some reason i don't i i don't see why what the big deal is to have an opinion that i think that film was more creative i don't think there's there's something wrong with debating that opinion no i know but you said it was ignorant 
I do think it's ignorant because I yeah. think you're not looking at because I'm not think I don't think you're looking at the studio I mean, system and the the idea of Hollywood from 1919 to now. That's that's just like a Republican calling a Democrat and ignorant because no, they're not seeing it their way. No, of course it's not. it is. Of course, it no, is. it isn't because I'm actually giving you examples and trying to help you. You're trying to help understand. me see the way. No, I'm trying to help you understand that there's something outside. See, what you're doing is you're saying. Only my opinion matters. To no, me. it doesn't. I'm saying I, I'm not willing to learn. I'm not willing to learn okay. or hear somebody else's opinion. I'm only willing to say I this s- what I'm saying is I have my opinion, you have yours, and I don't know why we can't agree on that. But why can't we debate it? We can debate it. Well, but this is what we're doing. No, but, but you're. It's hard to debate someone when they say you're ignorant. I think that you, I think you, that statement is ignorant, but, and I think see, it does. Do Wes, I once think, you okay, call I, someone's opinion ignorant, you have ended the conversation. Jenny, what do you think? You can't think be debated with anymore. I happen, because I grew up on these movies, too, agree with Alan in the way that Legend, uh, Never Ending Story, Howard the Duck, all these things, they didn't have CGI. They didn't have all this stuff. They weren't remakes. They were these amazing ideas of where we were for the time. All these movies come from the time. Unfortunately, right now, we're in this time of recycle. The way they did Great and Powerful with James Franco, it's a good storyline executed totally poorly I guarantee you they knew that they were going to make most of that money on the fact that it was 3D and they could have those moments where people are like oh this is like Avatar it's great going down the waterfall this is great that's where they based their money making part to it because it was a horrible it was a horrible way to execute a pretty great retelling of a mm-hmm. classic so unfortunately right now and the time of where we are uh, on the on the time period of the world and where we are for movies coming from 1900 and even before when the first ones came out The Silence and all this stuff we are in a point of remake. And I, I know three scripts offhand that I have read from my friends that are genius. They're so genius. They mm-hmm. haven't been done before. You know what? They probably won't because of money, because of politics, because studios want to keep it all together. They want to keep their same people together, their same group. They don't want insiders in. It's a whole political game on that front. There are creative, amazing stories out there. Fortunately, right now, we're going with the people on top that don't want to do anything new. They don't want anybody else making the money. They want to keep it themselves. They want to do their remakes and all that stuff. Back then, it was, it was more like when Jim Henson was around and he was doing his amazing puppets for, for movies and everything was real. And, and we had an imagination where like that thing was, that thing was real, like Edward, Edward the Troll and Halston Gretel. Practical has to come back because that's yeah, what makes it real. Like I don't want to see... James Franco uh, in front of a green screen, an entire movie. It's right. not. It's not something that connects to you. You don't. You don't feel that. Well, those movies. The the people who can afford to make a movie that is all green screen and CG, which I think is a big part of why movie quality, why we perceive movie quality to be taking a shit right now, because they're incorporating way too much CG and not putting enough actual, yeah. actual work into it, an actual create creative you're not manufacturing things with people. You're using a computer to do it and it just loses some of the soul. Absolutely. But so I have to say, I really think I'm going to guess that we're all late twenties, early thirties ish. And I think any generation in this, in this age is always going to have the point of view that, you know, the kids these days are just the music they listen to is shit. And the movies they watch are shit. And the stories that they like are shit. And it was so much better back in my day. I don't, by the way. And okay, but I think it's a very common thing, and it's very easy to reject the things that are being made now. Though I do agree that a lot of them, because the big studios are the ones that are pumping out the movies that we see, the movies that I mean, we talked about Pacific Rim last time. How much money was spent on that? Was it really? Was the quality of the movie really worth the money put into it? And I don't think most of them are. 
because the studios are the ones who are making them and the studios choose what we watch and the studios choose the stories that we get. And so it's easy to think that the films that films suck these days, but it's because the studios are more about chasing a buck than they are about telling a good story in a good way. And I think the people who are still dedicated to that are keeping the spirit of film alive and are probably what Wes is referring to when he says that it's, you know, the creativity of the industry is still there. It's just that we are saturated with shit that is being funded so heavily that we can't help but see it on buses. On Everywhere you go, you see these horrible films. But that doesn't mean that the other like really good films aren't being made or conceptualized or created. It's just that they're not plastered on a bus driving past you everywhere you go in the city. And I think that's changing. I think that's going to start to change. Someone I'm very close to is making a camera that's going to bring big cinema She's like full married. 2k yeah i mean i'm I talking, talking a little the, bit the yeah digital the digital bollocks, bollocks. it's yeah. the point of this camera is to give indie filmmakers and student filmmakers and people who don't have big budgets the opportunity to use equipment that's going to give them a very very good final product and i think there is a big indie film revolution going on right now there's seed and spark which my friend emily best runs it's a it's kind of a crowdsourcing site for films but instead of raising money you put all of the things that you need, like you need a studio, you need this kind of camera, you need whatever, and other people who can let you borrow those things or use those things or lend you these things to help you get your film made will give you that. I think that there is a huge revolution coming in film. I feel like there's sort of a myopic view of film. There's a, there's a tunnel vision that happens when people talk about film now where they don't take into account what's come before and don't take into account like that there hasn't been enough time to establish what that really means. Um, John Carter or the Lone Ranger would be a really good example or the Star Wars prequels would be an even better example to not understand what effect that's going to have on cinema history um, and not understand the stuff that comes before. So like you say, the Muppets, but in, we're talking about being in a remake world but the muppets are based the muppet movie was based on an already existing franchise it was yeah, based but the on muppets were, were, was an example i was using a remix the but, muppet but i mean had but, but it was something that you but that muppets was something that you were using as an example of something from your childhood that you love that you connected with and my point is that people i think bypass the things that they love when they're making these arguments and i think i think they're again going back you know to the 30s and 40s, you know, or right now is a really good example. Have you guys seen the trailer for The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? Mm-mm. It's the new Ben Stiller movie. Alan's nodding his head. Looks really, really uh, exciting. I was talking to somebody who's super, super excited for that, that movie, and I said, you know, that movie was made in like the 40s, right? And it looks nothing like the original. He had no idea that A, it was a book, and B, that it had already been made. You know, um, but when you see something that you like, you sort of become... A little withdrawn, and he w- he did a little research on the original movie and was like, "Oh, it's not like the books. So I don't really want to see it, but I'm really excited for the new movie." And it's like, well, that's what I'm saying before is from the the dawn of time when people could start writing stories. However, if they were mm-hmm. doing it on stone or in and paper made from whatever, there's only so many human heart stories you can tell. They're all just recycled, all of them. Sure. I can I can I can think that I had this original idea, write it down, share it with you guys, and literally not have pulled it from anything besides my imagination and of course whatever I've experienced growing up or whatnot. But the thing is that anyone of you could go, Oh my God, that sounds just like this book or that's exactly like this book that was written in eighteen what you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. these are always gonna be my argument with it, especially now that everything is CGI and everything is a little bit less 
there's there's a certain amount of soul that's taken away from it when when I can't obtain that this thing is really standing next to Jennifer Conley when she's really standing next to this giant monster and it's real is the fact that I don't care what age you're in if you can't appreciate all the you know the first Indiana Jones come on the last one I walked out of the last one I, like last one, actually. I, I, I thought it was horrible no, it was I'm so bad. worst ever and whether it's a good thing or not whether you liked it or not there's no comparison between what was I agree and what what is now that's all I'm saying if you're gonna spend all this money and do other stuff Take a little bit less, you know, money for the CGI and, and make a couple more characters and make. Do you think stop that, basing it on 3D? I'm telling you, 3D has ruined movies because people will pay a higher amount for a ticket to see save, stuff pop out to them, and the story's crap. It's helped save the film industry, though. You know what I mean? Like you, you have to have that. Like you have to have that that give and take. I know. That, it's, well, it's the next step because harder, everything's new. Well, it's harder to pirate, and so you know, movie studios all jumped on the bandwagon because it was really, really difficult to pirate it, and they're able to save some money now so it's sort of a, a necessary evil in, in my opinion i enjoy 3d like i like stuff blowing up in 3d but um but i wouldn't go see a drama in 3d yeah you know what i mean i agree with you by the way that i think physical is better like i think practical is much and that, that was my sort of my argument against the great and powerful Oz is that it, there's nothing to connect you to the original film because the original film is very, it feels tangible when they're walking through the sunflowers and you see this new one and the sunflowers are all CG. It doesn't feel like they're right. really there. There's something with the art direction of the wizard of Oz where you can see that there are matte paintings in the back, but it was still way better than any CG that was in, you know, cause it, it brought, it, it brought a, an aspect of, of artistry to the film. Whereas just CG, like an Oz grain powerful was just like, Oh, CG Nothing to connect but, to artistry. It. That's exactly it. That's what it lacks yep. now. And not to discount, but I have great friends who work in 3d, the 3d aspect of the movie industry and I love them and I appreciate their work, but it's definitely a lot less human, a lot less. There's just less artistry to it. I feel like we're too hard. I feel like we're being too hard on the movies of this era. I guess that's that's what my point is. We're in a unique age. Because uh, we've it, never been here before. Well, look at, look at well, no, no, no. We've been, really we're in a example. unique age because we've all grown up with seeing practical effects and special effects. And we, we're, we actually have firsthand knowledge and view of how the industry and special effects and 3D has changed. Whereas the people growing up now in 20 years won't have that. They're going to just see that CG got better and better and better. Yeah. But we, we started off that. seeing freaking, like I, I still think props and models and, and stuff like they did in the original Star Wars would be so much better. And that's why I like Guillermo del Toro because he tries to marry both. He, he still sure. uses actual props and actual models along with the CG. You have he to treat have a CG as a tool yes. Yes. and not exactly. a soul medium. You have to have a balance. Exactly. My, right my now, unfortunately, we're done. 30 years ago, people said that about the models. What I'm saying is we're at a unique perspective where we've seen all these films, whereas 20 years from now, the kids growing up are going to ha- probably have this amazing CG and not even care about you what so? it used to be. Yeah, they're pro- I mean, 20 years from now, come on, look at, the, look at what they've done now. Uh, CG's not been around that long so 20 years from now I'm sure it's going to be freaking amazing but they're going to grow up with an era in, in an era where they're not necessarily going to watch the films that we grew up on you know they're going to watch the remakes of the films that we grew up on it's going to be Charlie and the Chocolate Factory yes it is but unfortunately not everybody's as responsible as you and I <laughs> but they're going to watch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory instead of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory you know they're going to watch Oz and Great, the Great and Powerful instead of Wizard of Oz you know it's going to be that type of thing which sucks but yes, if you are a parent, make sure your kids watch the fucking 80s movies and Please. the 70s movies and the 60s movies. And even the 20s and 30s and 40s films because 
that they're classics for a reason. Yeah, Watch and Sunrise. we don't have to forget where we came from. Like, great, CGI's here and 3D's here and we're coming into a technical age where in 30 years we'll be like, dude, the movies of the 90s, 80s, and even 2000s were so stupid. Why do we have to rush away from everything we've built so far and where we've come from? Well, the thing is, 3D's going to go away. I mean, as, as strong as it looks right now and as many movies and now there's an increase in 3D films being released in theaters... That is going to go away I unless like they find a, a way that's better for our brains. Yeah. Because every time you watch a 3D film, it technically does damage to you. It does brain damage. So um, that's oh, eventually going to catch up. No, I I mean, that. honestly, that's going to catch up with us. And we're going to, you know, find ways around that. Uh, although there is some talk in, I think, Japan or China. They have a uh, glassesless. 3D screen. I was going to say the next step is it's going to be 3D without glasses. It's like I mean, a, if you can imagine, um, like when you fold a piece, they of have paper that in Nintendo, like a Nintendo. Yeah, they do that. Uh, no, not a, no, because you can't that you can't project that right. Okay. It's, it's correct, different but because it still it's looks within, like it's 3D. What, what they do with this is it it's two projectors, kind of going old school in a way, um, angled at different angles uh, in the back corners of the theater. And the screen is kind of um, like a mountain. It goes like mm. if you were a little kid and you draw a mountain, a bunch of peaks. That's what the screen looks like facing you. You're looking at the top of the peaks. So one projector is projecting on the right side of those peaks and the other projector is projecting on the left side of those peaks, which gives you the impression of 3D. I will see Wizard of Oz in 3D IMAX only because it's. I'm sure it's going to be a great restored print. Mm-hmm. And it would be interesting to see that one in 3D. But I didn't know we get brain damage every time. I'm like, oh, I'm your brain is capable of so much. You could have an entire section of your brain die, and those neurons will eventually find pathways right. back to each other, and you'll regain. But the brain is amazing. But somebody's going to turn that into, you know what I mean? Somebody's going to turn the 3D thing into something. I think they'll just make it work. I think eventually they're just going to find a way to make it work where it doesn't make you sick. Or Possible. Our brains yeah. are going to be it's like just going to be glasses, like four you times as large. Mars attacks. We're going to have giant Mars attacks heads one day. Oh my god! Stuff. The alien, the Martian, who's dressed as a woman mm-hmm. in Mars Attacks, still one of my favorite movie crushes. Mars Attacks is great. I <laughs> like that movie. Mars Attacks was like Tim Burton's one of Tim Burton's last great movies. Yeah. So, uh, real quick since we kind of glossed upon this, but I do recommend for all you uh, who want to rent something, Rent and Return to Oz, if you haven't seen it with Feruza Balk. It's, it's a dark version. It's a sequel. She basically ends up in a, in a psychiatric institute because she thinks she went to Oz, and of course nobody believes her. Mm-hmm. So this, in this case, she does look like an 11-year-old girl like Dorothy's supposed to be. And it's, it's just a little darker, a lot new, more characters, Ozma's in it, but I don't think yes, she's in it for very long. She's not, but at yeah. least they include her. Yeah, she's my she's my one of my favorite characters. Some really good characters: TikTok, Pumpkinhead. Um, I don't know if that was his name, but I call him Pumpkinhead. Uh, I think it's Jack that's yeah. a really Pumpkinhead. shattered like version of Oz. That's yeah. really like dystopic. It's, basically, she goes to Oz and it's been ruined by an evil queen, and the queen has lots of severed heads. Uh, so that makes Return to Oz a lot darker. Yeah. The uh, premiere of Wizard of Oz at the Grauman's Chinese Theater was August 15th, 1939. But now you can see it. September 20th in IMAX 3D. Any closing thoughts from anyone? Wes, you want to call anyone names? Yeah. <laughs> Ella Darling. At Ella Darling. E-L-A. Darling. That's correct. I do want to mention something that's kind of cool that I really want to go to sometime. Mm-hmm. There is something called WinkyCon, and it's an 
a Wizard of Oz convention. Oh shit! Where is that? Do you know? I think it's in Pacific Grove, California. It's in California. Yeah. Where? Wait, where? California? Pacific Grove. What the fuck's that? Like Wichita or something, right? But it exists, and I found out about it at Comic Con, and I had already kind of blown my con budget for the year. So. Oh, is, is Z Winky? Zwinky. What? Wait. No, it's Winky. Winkies are so there's Munchkins, uh-huh. Winkies. Gillikins, and I never remember the fourth one. Oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Yeah, just mumbled something. Quadling is the last one. Quadling? Yeah, so it's Munchkins in the east, Quadlings in the south, uh, Winkies in the west, which is why it's it's here. And then uh, we're in the west. Jenny! Hey! Twitter? Not yet. Not since last time. Oh, yeah. Have you done some stuff for Funny or Die? I, I have. feel like mm-hmm. I, th- I think I actually have seen you in some Funny or yeah, Die stuff. Yeah, I just did the uh, Inside McDonald's spoof, which I think is Oh, that's hilarious. right. You're really funny in that. Thanks. Inside yeah. McDonald's? Yeah. Was that was that you just riffing? Or? No, that, those are actual real... They're actors that act, uh, um, act out actual real Yelp reviews for uh, McDonald's oh, I wasn't in sure LA. If it was legit or not. They are ridiculous and they're sure real. So I want to see that. Check yeah, that out. Really funny funny. funny as I inside McDonald's. But yeah, and then so uh, maybe next time when I come back I will have a uh, Twitter page for you guys. Maybe. We'll see. I don't know. You I'll probably see. won't. Sorry. And Wes Weitzenhofer. What What's up? You have a new YouTube channel. I do have a new YouTube channel. It's a video gaming channel. Uh, the channel on YouTube is No Lag Till Brooklyn. Um we're not in Brooklyn, but we I don't just, get it. we're Beastie Boy fans. And um, we have uh, a really great partner um, who is up in Alaska, and she does a show called Another Castle that is the female perspective on gaming. Um, she cool. also does gaming, like how to date a gamer advice on that. Uh, and then we have a couple other shows. We have uh, Drunk Versus, where we get somebody plastered and then have them play a video game. There's a pretty good Batman Arkham City one up right now. We have a we have another show that we're doing is kind of the opposite of a lot of the other gamers. Everybody likes to do angry gaming, and we're gonna we're doing a new show um, called Happy Gamer, where um, myself and my wife play through a family friendly game and we play through all of the missions. So if you go to www.nolagtillbrooklyn.com, you'll uh, get to Wes's page, yeah. or you can go on YouTube and search No Lag Till Brooklyn. Um, we have a Facebook page too. Oh, you, you have a Facebook. You can page. like the Facebook. Is it facebook.com slash no lag Brooklyn? Yes, correct. There you go. Facebook.com slash no lag We also have a Twitter at no lag gamers. And uh, you can follow me at bad underscore sloth. And then email any of us at badslothlove at aol.com. Thanks so much, guys. It was fun. Bye, guys. Bye.